Well, during this leadership transition at Bel Air, as we expect for a new senior pastor at Bel Air, we have been so blessed to have great speakers uh, coming to Bel Air, sharing the word of God and challenges and comforting us in this time. But today we have a special treat. We have here with us a long-term friend of this church, Dr. Uh, Lloyd John Ogovie. He has been here at Bel Air before, uh, has taught at this church, and has so many connections here at Bel Air as well. He has been a Presbyterian pastor for more than 50 years. In his early days in life, he didn't want anything to do with the Christian faith or with the church. But when he was in college, he received Christ as his Savior and Lord and never looked back in his life. He has served at Hollywood Presbyterian Church for a pastor, as a senior pastor, for over 23 years. And then served as a chaplain of the Senate of the United States of America for over eight years. Dr. Ugovi has traveled all over the world. He has served large churches. He has written more than 50 books and has received more than 15 doctoral degrees from different universities. Dr. Ugovi is a gift from God to the church in the world and is special to the church in North America. His voice, his character, his heart for God and his church has been a blessing to all of us. Dr. Richard Mao, from the president of Fuller Theological Seminary, told me the other day that Dr. Ugovi is one of the great communicators of the gospel in North America. A great preacher that was able to, as a chaplain of the U.S. Senate, to apply the truths of the Christian faith into the big issues facing life in this country in these days that we live. His daughter Heather attends Bel Air, and, uh, and so they are very familiar to our church. But with all this success, and I just learned uh, recently that Dr. Lord Ugovi is very passionate about golfing. <laughs> but I also learned that those who have seen playing golf on the green are so thankful that he is a preacher, <laughs> he's not a golfer. He would not be able to support his family with the kind of golfing that he plays on the green. <laughs> we are so thankful that you are here with us today. Would you come and let me pray for you? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I never had seen a, a, a preacher have a standing ovation before he preached. <laughs> Let me give the benediction then. <laughs> Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your servant. Thank you for his faithfulness in his walk with Christ, his diligence in the study of the scriptures and in the communication of your word in different settings of this nation. And Lord, we thank you so much for the gift that we have to receive Dr. Ugovi this morning with us. And now, Lord, as he opened the scriptures, I ask once more that you would speak to us through his voice, his passion, his vision, his faithfulness to you. Move us, O oh Lord, close to you through the words and the mount of your servant. In Christ Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you.
I am so pleased to be here this morning to have the privilege of speaking and sharing, but most of all to have communication with you as if there were only one of you here so that we could talk about things that are so crucial in both of our lives. I've known this church since its beginning. I knew its first pastor and all of the pastors since then. They've been good friends of mine. We've been in prayer groups together and have prayed together. And I've shared the uh, victories, the delights, the challenges that this church has. And I'm thankful that God has already picked out the new pastor of this church. And it'll just take a little while until uh, you discern who that might be. But uh, he or she is ready and waiting, uh, and uh, the Lord will show the way. I'm sorry, Enoch, that you talked about golf. Uh, <laughs> the only time I ever played golf with Jimmy Stewart, the actor, uh, I had an awful time. I think I was nervous. You know how you might be when your hero in the movies uh, gives you the chance to play golf with him. And uh, so my hands were shaking a little bit. And I took my driver in the hand and uh, put all the uh, fingers together in the right way. And I was on the first tee. I took a swing like I should, moving my hips, you know. And the ball dribbled off of the off of the tee and just a little ways down the fairway. And Jimmy Stewart said to me, Lloyd, no one could ever say that you neglected your work because of your golf. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm so overdressed for this service. Uh, uh, I had some sandals and a Hawaiian shirt by the door, and I walked off without them. I'm so sorry. And I wouldn't have had time to change anyhow, but uh, is it okay if I just leave this tie on? or uh, Is it all right? Okay. I would like to read uh, two passages of Scripture and then use the time of the message to lift up some of the most crucial Scriptures in the Bible about peace. It's the first Sunday of Advent, and I believe that Christ our Lord came that you and I could have lasting, deep, profound personal peace to share with our world today. First passage that I'd like to read uh, and share with you is a wonderful proclamation given to us by Isaiah, and it captures the longing of the heart of God to have a harmonious relationship with his creation. He created you and me to know him and love him and serve him. And this passage by the great Isaiah gives us a sense of that. 
He calls the people who are repentant and have come back to Jerusalem and they're processing back and this is the word that he has for them. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. But the crucial thing that he had to say is just the verse before that. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Now picture, if you will, the upper room. Jesus' disciples are gathered with him for the feast. He looks at them and feels the tumult and worry and fear in their hearts. And he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Give him a piece of your mind. The man shouted to me as we passed in the corridor of the United States Senate. He knew that I was heading to an acrimonious meeting between the two parties over a crucial issue for the future of America. I had an opportunity to share with them and I had prepared. And then I heard his statement. Give him a piece of your mind. I walked on down the hallway and went to the room and as I put my hand on the doorknob and about to go in, I heard a voice, capital V, deep down inside of me, saying, how will you spell peace? P-E-A-C-E or P-I-E-C-E. And I knew that the deepest longing of my life was to be able to communicate peace so that these leaders might have a fresh experience of peace and then be peacemakers with one another. It's a challenge always to give a peace of our minds. But we can't give that unless we've experienced it. Nothing can happen through us until it happens to us. And now as we come to the Advent time and begin this Sunday the pilgrimage to Bethlehem and to the birth of Christ, we remember again that the reason that he came was that we might know deep, abiding, lasting peace.
Now, I'm going to ask you some very personal questions, and I hope that uh, you'll respond by uh, naming the four front fingers of your hand, your right hand. Would you put it out in front of you? I'm going to name this finger, never, and this one, seldom, and this one, frequently, and this one, consistently. And as I ask the questions, I want you to grip one of the fingers and answer as honestly as you can. Now, I don't want you to look over and see what your wife or husband or friend <laughs> is doing. Uh, this is just between you and the Lord. In your mind and in your own deep inner self, are you at peace? Never, seldom, frequently, consistently? And how about your feelings? Do you feel peace? Emotions are important, but they're the result of what's first in the mind. Do you feel at peace right now? Never. Seldom, frequently, consistently. And how about your relationships? How about the people who drive the heaven out of you? <laughs> and make life difficult. We all have difficult, impossible people we know and care about. But in your relationships, in your family, uh, where you work, in your community, is there peace in those relationships? Never, seldom, frequently, consistently? And how about the circumstances of your life in this changing and uncertain time in our culture and in our society? Do you have a peace that isn't dependent upon the circumstances around you? Never, seldom, frequently, consistently? And how about your body as you breathe in and breathe out? Can you say that your body is at peace? Or are the tensions of your mind and your emotions and your volitional nature such that your body is filled with stress and tension? Do you have peace in your body? <laughs> Never, seldom, Frequently, consistently. Now, I have to be very honest with you and tell you that I had to answer some of those questions with the frequently, and far too few of them could I answer consistently.
So anything I have to say this morning, I need it more than you do. And it comes out of the well of personal experience of allowing God to meet those deep needs. We want to take some of the most crucial scriptures about peace. Promises to you and me that we might be able to experience on this first Sunday of Advent. A peace that passes all understanding. You know, Christmas time's a turbulent time, busy time. I don't know about you. People start asking even before Advent starts, uh, Are you ready for Christmas? And I want to say, No, it hasn't even begun yet. What do you mean, am I ready? No, I'm not. I came out of a drugstore the other day, and uh, I didn't take the parking validation with me. So I put my purchases in the trunk of the car, I pulled it around and tried to get out of the parking lot, and the woman said, where's your validation? I said, oh, I didn't get one, I'm sorry. And she said, give me 350 then. And I reached around in my pocket and I didn't have it right handy, and so I thought I'd go and uh, get my packages out of my trunk and say, here, this is what I bought. I don't have my coupon, my validation, but uh, would you please let me out of this parking lot? And at that moment, a woman drove up right behind me. And knowing that I was in some kind of dilemma, she started blaring her horn. Me. <laughs> Well, she kept on beeping it. As a matter of fact, it blew, I think, some three minutes before she let up. And so, I don't know what caused me to do it. <laughs> but I walked back and I said to her, uh, Would you do me a favor? Her face got white with uh, worry and... Uh, consternation as to what I might be wanting to suggest. And uh, I said, would you please get out of your car and go and sit in my car? And I said, I'm going to sit in your car and blow the horn. <laughs> well, I think the outward sign of the tumult in our culture is focused in the people who drive up behind you, almost hit the back fender of your car, and then lift their hands off the wheel and say, get on with it, get on with it, and get you to move faster. Tough time in our lives and in our culture. We need Advent, and we need the peace of Christ. This magnificent promise that I read from Isaiah was one that expresses the profound heart of God, his deep longing for a harmonious relationship with us. The prophet felt the pulsation of the longing of the heart of God. And then he proclaimed to the people that if they would only trust in the Lord, 
they would have peace. And this is what he wrote. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. For he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord. For in Yah is everlasting strength. When we understand the Hebrew of this particular passage, it becomes all the more meaningful. There's no word in the Hebrew for perfect. So what Isaiah did was to repeat the word shalom for peace twice. And the line is drawn in between the two. You will keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind, and the Hebrew word for mind is yetzer, the formation of the mind, the intention, the intentional mind that evaluates and makes decisions. He will keep your mind stayed, samok, but it's in the passive which means it's something that's done to us, not something that we do. It's a gift given to us, not something that we perform. And that clarifies everything. I remember once I was using this text and preaching about this. I got as far as the first portion of the text, and there was a woman sitting in the front row with her arms like this, saying, oh, one more thing I've got to do. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed. Oh, I've got to do it. i got to perform. And then I suggested that it was in the passive. And I could see her just let her arms go down. And she was receptive to receive the gift that God had to give. He will keep you in shalom, shalom, whose mind, the thinking brain, the center of the cerebral cortex connected to the sympathetic adaptation system that connects to the nervous system of our being, he will keep that focused on him. Even when we wander in our thinking, even when we feel separated from the Lord, just admit it because he won't let you go. He'll keep you focused on him. He'll remind you of himself, of his sovereignty, of his love, of his forgiveness. And he'll give you the gift of shalom, shalom. Now this magnificent promise is fulfilled in the Savior. God sent Jesus Christ, the shalom, shalom of heaven, into the world. Born a babe, grew among us, lived, preached, taught, suffered for us on the cross. But the words that he spoke to his disciples the night before he was crucified is a personal promise to you and to me. And I just have to admit to you that I've read that passage over and over again for 60 years. But this week it was fresh and new to me. The Holy Spirit gave me a fresh understanding of the personal pronoun, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And suddenly it dawned on me, 
Christ was offering the very kind of peace that we see in Him. The way He handled conflict. The way He reached out to the poor and the suffering. The way no circumstance could keep Him from prayer. The way He exemplified true peace. That's the peace that He wants to give to you and to me. He came that we might experience it. They described the nature of Jesus Christ with the words, the hypostatic union, fully God and fully man. And he revealed to us who God is, but he also revealed to us what life was meant to be for us. And in a wonderful way, the same union is in us. And we can receive Christ and in him is our peace. And this is what Paul meant in Ephesians 2:14. He himself is our peace. Christ doesn't give peace and then leave us bereft. He is our peace. I lived for eight years in the Christian life before I experienced the indwelling Christ. I followed Christ, preached Christ, worked for Christ. But it wasn't until I received him indwelling in my being, mind, emotions, will, my physical body, that I knew anything of the peace that he came to make possible. I'll hold that in your mind as we think about what he did for us that we might be able to experience peace. He preached it but he also lived it and he died on the cross that you and I might experience it. I like to leaf through Colossians every so often because in that magnificent epistle of the Apostle Paul there's a summary of the meaning of it all and he gives it to us. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And that in him to reconcile all things to himself by him, things on earth and things in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And then we follow the Apostle Paul's thinking as he spells that out. And he uses a marvelous illustration that everyone who received that epistle would understand. And all we need to do is to repicture a village like Colossae. And know that at the center of the village there would be a place where certain things could be put on to a poster so that everyone could see it. And if anyone failed, their failures were listed out in what was called a charge list. And Paul uses that as an illustration of what Christ has done for you and me. You see, the paper on which the charge list was written 
was a mashed bulrush or vellum pounded leather. And it didn't absorb the ink that had no acid in it so that it could be wiped away with a sponge. And what Paul describes Christ doing for you and me was coming and seeing the charge list against each of us and wiping it clean. And as if that isn't enough, he goes on to say, but he took it out of their hand and nailed it to the cross. And as you clutch your own charge list and say, it's mine, I did it, he comes and pulls it out of your hand and says, I died for you. And when they nailed me to the cross, your sins and your failures were nailed to the cross. Well, there's no peace until we know that deep, profound experience of forgiveness. And I just want to ask you, is there anything in your memory, any failure, any sin, that has never been confessed and forgiven? The word confession is homologio, to say after. It's when God gives us the direction of what we are to confess that then we can be experience that wonderful washing away just to feel the magnificent sponge of the Lord cleaning it up for us, grasping our charge list and nailing it to the cross. But if you've experienced that afresh today and will not forgive someone else, then that very forgiveness will be invalid. Jesus said it. The only part of the disciples' prayer that he thought it was necessary to explain in the Sermon on the Mount was that if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. And suddenly we're confronted with the hurts and slights and oversights and all of those things that have been said to us or done to us and we've kept crammed down inside of us. And he says, until you let go of those, you can't receive my forgiveness. And there will be no peace. Awesome. But not only that, true peace comes when we are free to release the tensions and fears of our lives. And when Jesus said, my peace, he also said that he would relieve us with his peace 
of the fears of our lives and the troubles of our lives. And it's interesting. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That the word, the root word in Greek for that afraid is delia, which is not phobos, but delia. It means caution and cowardice. So the peace of Christ gives us a fresh boldness. We become free with Christ's esteem to be the people we were meant to be and to do what he's called us to do. He sets us free. The peace of God dwells in our hearts when we allow him, as Paul suggested, to be the umpire. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And the word in Greek means umpire, to call some things out and some things safe, some things that are okay and are not at all. But peace is also the experience of Christ's unimpeachable guidance and protection. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. His interventions are on time and in time for our time. And whatever it is that's troubling you or worrying you this morning, He will come. He will help with the right word, the right insight, the right guidance, the right courage to do what is necessary. And then we can say with the Apostle Paul that we will be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we will let our requests be known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our minds and hearts by Christ Jesus. Paul could picture the ramparts of the city of Philippi. And you could see the guards going back and forth. And so the Philippians could understand what it meant to be guarded by the peace of God. It passes understanding. And that simply means we can't achieve of it through understanding. It's a gift. But lastly, peace is the exuberance of knowing that we're blessed. It's interesting that uh, in those wonderful Beatitudes, Jesus congratulates people who have the qualities that God meant for us to have. And when he reaches that crucial moment in the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The very word blessed it almost means, as it comes out of the Hebrew, Asherah, Oh, the blessedness of! The cherished, chosen, called people who are given peace are giving the calling to be peacemakers. We live in a world where there's discord and 
brokenness. And we're not only called to go to the people who are uh, at odds with us personally, but we are to go to bring healing between those who are separated. It's our calling to listen to one side and then to the other and to bring understanding and to stay until people are reconciled. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And in Hebrew, sons of means having the quality of God, being like God. Jesus came to reveal who he is and what we were meant to be. And as peacemakers, we become those who seek to bring good in the turbulence and trouble of our time. Now just think of your life. Where are there broken relationships that you can be healed, the healer by bringing people together to listen, to care? Think of our city and its tremendous needs, the homeless, the hungry, the broken homes, the violence. To be in Christ is to be in the ministry, and to be in the ministry is to be called by Him and placed in a particular place where we live out our calling to be peacemakers. What is yours? With the joy that we know about uh, knowing Christ, have you ever had the opportunity to lead another person to Christ? I talk to people all over the country and in other parts of the world and seldom do I find Christians who have ever helped another person through the steps of confessing their need and introducing them to the wonderful experience of knowing God personally. Why is it? double the size of any congregation in one year if everyone would make a commitment simply to talk to one person, lead one person to Christ. The only kind of treasures we can lay up in heaven are the people we've introduced to Christ. And they'll be there saying, Ah, I made it. I made it because of you. But anyone who is sensitive to the movement of the Spirit begins to feel a calling to a particular area of need. And in every one of our lives, there ought to be some one of the crucial needs of our society that He places on our hearts. And we respond with obedience and become peacemakers in meeting the physical, emotional, volitional, and intellectual needs of people. You can't have any peace that lasts until you do. And then this wonderful peace that we've been talking about comes when we 
surrender to him anything that we feel stands between us and him or between us and anyone else. Until there is an exchange of our wills for his will, the peace that passes understanding will not last. Henry Van Dyke is one of my favorites, and he has a poem that came to him as he finally relinquished to the Savior. What was troubling him, and only then did he experience the peace of Christ. And this is what he wrote. With eager heart and will on fire, I sought to win my heart's desire. Peace shall be mine, I said. But life grew bitter in the endless strife. My soul was weary, and my pride was wounded deep. To heaven I cried, Give me peace, or I must die. And the dumb stars glittered no reply. But broken at last, I bowed my head. And giving up myself, I said, Your will be done, and not my own. And in that moment, peace was won. And as we prepare to receive that peace, we have the wonderful assurance that the living Christ is here, more ready to give himself to dwell in us than we even may be willing to ask. How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given, and God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Let us pray. O blessed living Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for coming and revealing the wonderful forgiving love Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you, O Christ, for dying for us, for being raised up for us, for being here for us, and for offering to come and live in us to give us peace. Lord, we long for that peace. 
And now we open ourselves to receive you and your peace. Amen.